Lord Jesus, we pray that our hearts will be open to you this morning, that you'll speak to us through your word and through the example of the stories that we'll be looking at from the book of Mark. In your name we pray, amen. I have heard it said that behind every great man is a better woman. Legend goes that George and Barbara Bush were driving through Texas in the presidential motorcade, and for some reason they had to stop to get gas in the middle of nowhere. This small little podunk gas station in the middle of nowhere, a gas station attendant attendant approached the limo to pump their gas. When Barbara saw him, she leapt out of the car as best as a 70-some-year-old woman could leap out of a car at the time, and ran to the gas attendant, threw, gas attendant, threw her arms around him, and they began to talk excitedly and engage in this, this deep conversation. George watched from the limousine, President George Bush watched from the limousine, curious as to what this was all about. When Barbara got back in the car after the gas had been pumped and they were ready to be on their way, George curiously inquired as to what had just taken place. Who was that? He asked Barbara. An old friend, she said. An old friend? An old boyfriend, in fact. At this statement, George got a huge smile on his face. And he said, well, aren't you lucky? He said, you could have married him, and instead, you married me, George Bush, who became president of the United States, leader of the free world, most powerful man on earth. And she smiled. She said, oh, George, you are the lucky one, for if I had married him, he would have been the leader of the free world. And you would have been the gas attendant. (laughs) Most of us, whether married or single, have had women in our lives, whether it be a wife or a mom or a grandmother, women that have helped to lead us and to guide us and to shape us and to give us wisdom. God gave keen insight into women. And today we are going to look at a couple of those ladies Often my wife, she picks up on things that I don't see, and she does things that I would otherwise miss. I remember the first time that Christine and I went to a wedding together is when we were dating. And as we were driving to the wedding, she asked, uh, where was my gift? What was I giving them? And I told her I didn't give a gift. I didn't get a gift for the wedding. And she said, you didn't get a gift? I said, no, I've never gotten a gift to go to a wedding. And she asked me, why not? And I informed, I thought me showing up was gift enough. I have learned that that is not proper etiquette uh, for attendance at a wedding. So we've all been led by ladies in some way. We may be the priest and maybe the priest and the president of your home, but you should listen attentively to your top advisor because they know a lot. Women have a gift from God, and again, we're going to look at a couple of stories from. Some ladies today, 
where they teach us profound truths. There's actually no words spoken by these ladies, but we simply learn from, their base, learn from them based upon their actions. So if you want to turn your Bibles with me first to the book of Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. And we're actually going to begin with verse 38, where we're talking about some gentlemen. Mark chapter 12 and verse 38. In his teaching, he was saying, this is Jesus, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplace and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses and for appearance sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater, long prayers, thinking these will receive greater Condemnation. These will receive greater condemnation. I want to start with these verses not to condemn men. This is actually not, no matter what the title is and no matter that we're looking, this is not a gender versus gender uh, sermon. But I purposely chose this text to begin with because these men, they illustrate the bad example that we don't want to be in this case. They illustrate the example, they are perfect examples of, of what the world tells us to be. The world system is built on looking a certain way and talking and walking and living a certain way in order to get respect. The world system has taught that titles matter and that as long as you have a title and as long as you do certain things, then you should be respected. I was once chastised by an individual because I called them, I referred to them as Mr. rather than Dr. I was soundly and summarily chastised. I had a professor once in college that didn't even have his doctor yet, and for five years he insisted on being called doctor rather than mister in his class, as if there was something great about the title. I've always had respect for my dad in this regard. My dad has had his doctorate since, I don't know, since I was about three or four years old, yet I can remember the first time I discovered that he was actually a doctor, that he actually had his doctorate. Someone called on the phone. We were living in Grand Terrace, California. I was probably about nine or ten years old. And someone called on the phone and said, is Dr. Stewart there? And I said, no. (laughs) That was it. And my mom informed me that, in fact, my dad was a doctor. Here all these years, I had no idea of that. I've probably heard on, in my whole life, I've heard in my whole life maybe on one hand, I could count the number of times I've heard anyone refer to my dad as a doctor, and I can count on no fingers because I've never heard it said in which my dad told anybody that he was a doctor or introduced himself as doctor. I've always respected that about him. He didn't use his title as a position of respect or to demand respect or to be at the head of class or sit in the position of honor. In a just world, this is how it would be, that we would all be equals. But in this world, some try to lord it over others. It doesn't just happen in school settings or in academic settings or in the political world. It also happens even within churches. I remember Dr. Russell Burrell telling us, and this is more often the case in in smaller churches, but it can happen even in larger ones as well, But Dr. Russell Burrell telling us that the greatest hindrance to church growth will be the matriarch or the patriarch who tries to rule everything with an iron fist. 
who uses their longevity as a, a church in order to control the treasury and the direction and the decisions within the church. It happens in all areas of society that people attempt to rule things by their title, by their position, by who people and who maybe even themselves think that they are. These men of Israel, these leaders, were all about take, take, take. Take from the temple, take from God, take false compliments to boost their egos, take houses from widows, take, take, take. Why could they do this, they thought? Because they were of some sort of status. Then Jesus, after saying these words about these scribes and these Pharisees, he walks over to the treasury. He walks over to the treasury, and in chapter 12 and verse 41, we read the following. And when he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury, and many rich people were putting in large sums, a poor widow came and put in only two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Now the treasury there in the temple were these 13 large uh, these, these 13 large uh, shofar boxes. There were boxes that looked like a shofar, like a, the, the ram's horn. And they would put their money into these, into these boxes and they would, they would make an abundance of noise and the rich would give large sums. Uh, as Ellen White says, it, the, many of them gave these large sums to be seen. It wasn't a problem that they were giving large sums. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's not condemning the, the gift amount What he's condemning is that they're giving the large sum for the purpose of being seen. But the poor widow came, and she gave just her two copper, small copper coins. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, for they they all put in out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty put in all she owned, all she had to live on. She put in out of her poverty all that she owned, all that she had to live on. In the midst of corruption and a world of take, 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 what an example this little woman is to us. Not by her words, not by anything she says, not by the profundity of her, of her speech. She is a, a witness to us as Christians of what it truly means to be a surrendered follower of Jesus Christ. Followers that stand against the crowd. Followers that are willing to to sacrifice everything for Jesus. Some people have tried to spiritualize this and say that Jesus would never seriously encourage anyone to give all that they had, although we don't see anywhere in the Bible and we know of no story in which Jesus stood up and told this woman to cease from doing that. I believe that if we learn maybe one day in heaven that we will learn that that Jesus definitely continued to take care of her, that God continued to bless her. I don't believe that God calls all of us to do this. I don't believe that God calls all of us to give every single thing that we have. But I believe that God calls all of us to be willing to. There's a book I read called The Irresistible Revolution. It was written by by a young man about my age. He actually wrote it about 10 years ago. And his name is Shane Claiborne. And God impressed upon his heart. He graduated from, from uh, a university in Philadelphia. 
and God impressed upon his heart while he was finishing up his college degree to give all his material possessions and to move into the inner city and to work amongst the poor and to live amongst the poor. And that's what he does. He lives amongst the homeless and the lowest of the low. He, he fights for social equality and economic equality. He proclaims the good news of Jesus to those who have no good news in their lives. He shares a house with all kinds of people. They actually have somewhat of a communal living situation. He never stays in hotels when he travels. He travels all over the world, and he insists that rather than spending the money on a hotel, that they give it to someone else. And he asks one of the organizers or one of the hosts to find him a home in which he can stay in so that he can fellowship with the people. Financially, in many ways, he is broke. And financially, many of the people that work in his organization are broke. Those that work in the organization are doctors and lawyers and politicians, people that actually make quite a fair bit of money, but they, they give all of it back to the idea of helping the least of these in this society. They try to live in every way that they can, fully surrendered to Jesus. Again, I don't know that Jesus calls all of us to live in this manner, but he does call us all to be willing to live in a manner in which we would surrender everything to Jesus, materially and, and, and emotionally and with our time as well. I've talked with Christina sometimes about this, where we've had the discussion, do we have too much? Could we give it all up if God asked us to? If we are down to our two, last two cents, will we have the courage to give up the rest of that and to trust God to continue to provide? God wants us to, to, to think in the way that this lady does, to have a heart that's surrendered and to be willing to, to give all to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to have a heart like that, a surrendered heart. It seems so wonderful that, as Mark talked about, there is a paradox here that exists. This woman gave up everything she had, but in the end, what she gained back was the greatest gift of all, which was the affirmation and the recognition of her Savior, a recognition that, 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 that she was a daughter of God. There's another story in Mark chapter 14, if you want Skip from Mark chapter 13 to Mark chapter 14 and beginning in verse 1, in which we see a similar type of sacrifice. Now the Passover and unleavened bread were two days away, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking to, how to seize him by stealth and kill him. That seized Jesus. For they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise there might be a riot of the people. Now while Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper and reclining at the table... There came a woman with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, a pure nard, and she broke the vial and poured it over his head. But some were indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And the money given to the poor. Here were the religious leaders, the supposed people of God, plotting to kill a man because he was upsetting their system, their temple system. Their organization was, was upset, and so they thought, how can we get rid of this pest, this thorn in our side? The place where, where they reigned supreme. The reality of it was that Jesus was a threat to their power. They didn't want to surrender anything to Jesus. They were to be servants of God, but they were serving nothing but themselves and their own titles. Jesus made them look bad, therefore 
he must be destroyed, was their opinion. But while he was in Bethany there, he came to this, this leper's home, and he reclined at the table, and this, this woman, this woman poured this nard over her head, this perfume over his head. And the Bible tells us that some were indignant, and they remarked to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? And they were scolding her, the Bible tells us. They were scolding her. From Luke's account about this same story, we know a couple things. One thing is, we know that, that, that 300 denarii is about a year's wages. So this woman gave up an entire year's wages for this man. Second, we know something about this woman as well from Luke's account. This woman is a sinner. Most likely, the way in which Luke describes it, most likely she is a prostitute. A prostitute there giving up her wages to Jesus. Yet look how this sinner stands in contrast to the religious elite. She gave up an entire year's salary. Imagine doing something like that. Imagine someone of, 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 of a spiritual nature, of a religious nature, giving up an entire year's salary. We would even be shocked and amazed by that. But if we were to learn that a harlot, a, a prostitute, a woman of the streets was willing to give up her year's wages, all that she had to Jesus out of love. But not only did she give up her money in this situation, this isn't just a story about surrendering money or surrendering something of value. This woman actually risked so much more in this moment. This lady was willing to give Jesus her pride, to surrender her pride before all of his people. She was willing to be humiliated to give service to Jesus. Mark tells us that the, that the disciples scolded her. They scolded her. I remember when I was a kid, one of those worst moments was when you were in front of a whole group of people and you'd get scolded. You would get scolded. Do you remember that ever? Those those moments you'd be talking maybe a little bit out of turn and you would be put back kind of into place quickly and there was that embarrassing moment and you could feel the blood rising and maybe your face turning red. I've not only had this done to me as a child, I've had it done to me as an adult too. I told you about the doctor who summarily chastised me for calling him Mr. instead of doctor. And uh, in other places in life, I remember once I walked into a situation, uh, there was a couple other, I was doing an, in, I was interning basically at a church, and I walked into a situation in the senior pastor's office, and this conversation was going on, and they were allowing me to stand there, and suddenly I thought it would be a wise idea for me to share my two cents on the situation. At which point, the senior pastor turned and looked at me, and the whole room froze, and nothing else needed to be said, and I slowly backed my way out of the room, all the while, while I was backing out, uh, backing out, the red was rushing up. It is not one of those fun moments to be scolded. There is a, there is a wounding to the pride, and here is this woman in this moment, with, surrounded by all these men, by all these powerful individuals, and she is doing a service for Jesus, and she's willing to risk not only to give not only her money, but maybe even something of more value. She's willing to risk her pride. The Bible says that these men, these individuals in this room, were scolding her. She wants to give. She wants to give back. She, she recognizes that her life, 
her lack of, of, of power is, is important even to Jesus. The gift is amazing. It speaks to the volume of love in her heart, not just because of the value of the gift, but because of what she was willing to endure, being scolded and chastised by these individuals. Jesus responds, though, in that moment. And what does he say? He says, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For you always have with you the poor, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them. Let me pause real uh, quickly there. Jesus was not saying that there is nothing that we can do for the poor here. Some, over the course of history, as you look at some commentaries, have misinterpreted this. What Jesus was, was pointing out is that as people of God, we should always have the poor amongst us. Jesus was telling these these people that that you will always have the poor amongst you. As believers, you should always have the poor amongst you. The poor are economically sick. They may be physically sick or emotionally sick or spiritually sick. And the church is a place for sick people. And Christ served the least of these. Therefore, even within the ranks of the church, there should be every demographic. There should be those who are spiritually sick and those who are emotionally sick. And there should be those who are physically sick. And there should also be amongst us always those who may be economically sick. That's what Jesus was saying. The poor will always be amongst you. Not saying, hey, you're always going to have to put up with these so you're going to have some money. No, as, a, as, as believers, these people should be in your midst. As we serve the least of these, the poor, the widows, the orphans, we serve Jesus. For you will always have the poor with you. Many churches cannot say that, and that is a sad situation. That is a sad situation. We should not discourage the poor from being amongst us, but rather we should encourage them. For you will always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly I say to you, and listen to this statement, truly I say to you, Jesus says about this woman, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken in memory of her. Wherever the gospel is preached, what this woman has done will be also be spoken. And notice what the Bible says. The Bible says will be spoken not to show you how great I am, Jesus says, not to show you what you should have done for me in case of the burial, will be spoken of in memory of her. This woman has done what she could. What she did, do. She get, what did she do? She gave to Jesus. She served Jesus. Her act of demonstration is an act of her demonstrating the surrendering of her heart to the Lord. Demonstrating her act of surrender of her heart to the Lord. Wherever the gospel is preached, this woman's story will be told. How is this connected to the gospel? Maybe the connection to the gospel is this, that, that in order to truly experience the good news and the joy and the peace and the satisfaction of the gospel, we must be willing to surrender everything. Maybe that is the great paradox, that, 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 
that within a society and tells you, that tells you in order to truly experience true peace, true joy, true happiness, you have to take and gather everything. Jesus tells us the true gospel, the true good news, the true joy of the world is experienced when you are willing to surrender everything to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords. Two ladies, two examples of surrendering to Jesus everything. There were no questions asked. There were no demands for anything back. They didn't do this because Jesus told them to do it. They did it out of the response of their heart to the Lord and Savior. They gave because they were in love with someone greater than themselves. They gave because they saw the cause was bigger than they were, and they wanted to support that cause with all that they had, heart, soul, and mind, and strength. In the biography of John Adams by David McAuliffe, a great book that I loved very much. One of the things that strikes me as I turned each page uh, is the enormous sacrifice these men and women gave to the cause of the revolution for this country. The cause of an independent America that they so strongly believed in. Many of these people that, 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 that fought the revolution had power already with England, and yet they saw a cause bigger than themselves, and they were willing to surrender that cause in order to... to to gain this nation's independence. To gain this nation's independence. Sacrifices from the small, like John Adams and Benjamin Franklin, sleeping shoulder to shoulder in a small bed. I cannot even imagine many of the leaders of our nation doing that today. I cannot imagine Joe Biden and Barack Obama saying, you know what? We have a cause bigger than ourselves. We have an $18 trillion debt. Let's sleep at Motel 6 this week, shoulder to shoulder. I just don't see this happening. Shoot, if Christine and I only had a twin bed, I may be sleeping on a couch. I mean, that's how, that's how awkward a twin bed can be. And yet John Adams and Benjamin Franklin traveling around the, world, around the nation to promote the cause, sleeping side by side in a bed. They sacrificed all kinds of things. They surrendered in little areas and sacrificed in small areas, but also in large areas as well. Physical Ill illness, risk of being hung as traitors, separation from their spouses and, children's, and children for months, even years at a time, all because they believed what they gave up would be worth what freedom they received back for the cause. Abigail Adams, John Adams' wife, wrote this in this book. Posterity, offspring, who are to reap the blessings, will scarcely be able to conceive the hardships and sufferings of their ancestors. She's saying about us, those of us who enjoy the freedoms that we have within this nation, she says, we'll barely be able to conceive the hardships and sufferings of their ancestors. And she is right. Many of us have taken our freedom for granted. But, but worse than maybe taking our freedom for granted in this United States of America, in fact, it is far worse it, that Abigail Adams' statement, I believe, is true as well in regards to our relationship oftentimes with Christ. Christ's posterity, 
His children who reap his blessings, the blessings of his death, will scarcely be able to conceive the hardship and sufferings of our Lord. Not just that we can't conceive his sufferings, but in some ways we've almost forgotten all that we have been blessed with. We must have forgotten because if we remembered, then there would be nothing materially, nothing physically, nothing spiritually, nothing emotionally. There would be nothing that we would not be willing to give for the cause of Jesus Christ. We must have forgotten. These two ladies remind us, they lead us to understand that we must surrender to Jesus. We must give our hands. We must give our feet. We must give our service. We must give our pocketbooks. We must give our hearts. John Adams and the heroes of the revolution were willing to die for independence for that great cause. How much greater is the cause of Jesus Christ? And how much are we willing to surrender knowing that by surrendering all, we actually gain the good news of the gospel. Here is the beautiful thing. Those ladies gave before Jesus died. They gave simply out of a a love, a preemptive love, not knowing. We have a greater witness through the example of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross that he would give us everything. And yet here is even the greater news, that even before we could have a chance to give Jesus anything, before you and I had a chance to surrender one iota of our lives, Jesus gave us everything. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet unsurrendered, while we were yet unwilling to give anything, Jesus died for us, demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. That is a cause, I believe, that I can get behind. One who would die for me long before I would ever surrender anything for him. One that would die for me, even though in my life I may refuse to always give anything to him. That is a cause that I can get behind. I don't want to hold on to any sin, any habit, any possession, any relationship, whether good or bad, that will keep me from Jesus. I want to give him everything. I don't know what is in your life. Maybe it is a habit. Maybe it is a sin. Maybe you have a broken relationship that has caused bitterness and anger. Maybe you are being held back to give up everything by your family or friends. Surrender. Jesus calls us to surrender it all to him. Not so that he can simply be blessed, but so that in the end, we will receive the ultimate blessing of the gospel, the peace and the joy of knowing that we are fully Jesus and his alone. Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for the blessings that you have given unto us. May we be willing to surrender all to you. In your name I pray. Amen.